0: خير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه وكل بدعه وكل ضلاله في النار So this is a brief reminder inshallah ta'ala regarding Ramadan there are some benefits regarding Ramadan of fasting and benefits of fasting. So benefits regarding fasting and benefits of fasting. So fasting is one of the pillars, the main pillars of Islam. It became obligatory in the second year of the Hijrah. And the Messenger of Allah wasallam, he fasted a total of nine months. That is nine Ramadans. A total of nine Ramadans. And we see that in the Quran, and likewise the Sunnah, and likewise by way of Ijma'ah, its obligation is clearly established. Ya ayyuhalla amanu kutiba alikumu kama kutiba ala al-laveena minqabalikum lallakum O you who believe, fasting has been prescribed upon you, just as it was prescribed upon those who came before you. And likewise, the statement of Allah Azza wa in the same surah in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 185, The month of Ramadan, in which the Quran was revealed as guidance for mankind and as clear evidences of guidance and criterion. So whoever amongst you witnesses the month, then let him fast it. And likewise, the hadith of Abu Anhu, who said that the messenger of Allah, وسلم, said, Islam is built upon five. And from them he mentioned the fasting of Ramadan, more Ramadan. And likewise, the hadith of Umar bin al-Khattab, in which the hadith of Jibreel, the famous hadith of Jibreel, uh, in which the Messenger of Allah is asked about Al-Islam. And he mentions that you witness, none has the right to be worshipped except Allah, that Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah, that you establish the prayer, give the zakah, waan Tasuma Ramadan, And that you fast in Ramadan. And also the hadith of Talha bin Ubaidillah رضي الله عنه, that a Bedouin Arab came to the Messenger of Allah and he said, O Messenger of Allah, inform me what has Allah made obligatory upon me of prayer. And so he said, al Alhams, Illa and shay'an The five prayers unless you want to do something additional voluntarily. And then he said, Explain to me or inform me what has Allah made obligatory with respect to fasting. And he said, Shahru Ramadan illa an تَطَوَّعَ شَيْئًا The month of Ramadan, unless you do something voluntarily. You do something on top of that voluntarily. So then he said, uh, then the Messenger of Allah, Salaam, he then informed him some other legislations of Islam. And the man then said, Wallahi akramaka la أَتَطَوَّعُ شَيْئًا he said, by Allah, I am not going to do anything voluntarily. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to add anything of voluntary act of worship, but I will not decrease from anything from what Allah has made obligatory upon me. And then the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu Alaihi wasallam, he said, أفلح إن صدق. This man will prosper if he is truthful. Aw dahl al Jannah in Sadaq. Or he will enter paradise if he is truthful. This if this man is truthful in what he says and he sticks to the obligations, then this man will enter into enter into uh, paradise. So then we have many other benefits, rewards, uh, excellences, virtues of fasting that we see mentioned in the Sunnah. So all of these texts that we mentioned from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, they establish the obligation of fasting Ramadan. As for the excellences, then these are texts that we are familiar with, we'll mention them here. The hadith of Abu Hurairah, رضي Anhu, that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, he said, Ramadan, ramadan رَمَضَانِ Wahti وَحْتِسَابًا Whoever fasted the month of Ramadan, out of iman, out of faith, and out of expectation of reward, مَا تَقَدَّمَ من ذنبه. Then his, whatever sins have preceded, he will be forgiven, he will be forgiven, uh, he will be forgiven then. وَمَنْ قَامَ لَيْلَةَ الْقَدْرِ إِيمَانًا وَاحْتِسَابًا And whoever performed or stood in prayer in Laylatul Qadr, out of Iman, out of faith and expectation of reward, then whatever has preceded of his sins, he will be forgiven. And likewise, the statement of the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم, إِذَا جَاءَ رَمَضَانَ فُتِّحَتْ أَبْوَابُ الْجَنَّةِ وَغُلِّقَتْ أَبْوَابُ النَّارِ الشياطين. That when Ramadan comes, the doors of paradise are opened, and the doors of hellfire are closed, and the shayateen, they are chained. And Likewise the statement of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam as al-khams the five prayers wal-jum'atu ila al-jum'ah and a jum'ah to a jum'ah wa ramadanu ramadan and a ramadan to a ramadan mukaffiratun ma baynahum they expiate whatever is in between them meaning of sins majtuniba al-kaba'ir So long as the major sins have been avoided. So as long as you avoid the major sins, those things for which Allah has threatened a punishment. So a major sin is something for which Allah threatens a punishment. Or he has cursed the one who does that action. Or there is a prescribed punishment for that action. Or his anger is upon the one who does that action. Then... As long as a person avoids those types of major sins, then his minor sins will be forgiven. His minor sins will be forgiven from one prayer to another prayer, between one prayer to another prayer, between one Jum'ah to another Jum'ah, and between one Ramadan to another Ramadan. And all of this indicates the, the, mercy, the mercy and the graciousness of Allah Azza wa Jalla. And likewise we see in the hadith of Kaab bin Ujra anhu that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi he said bring me the minbar, bring me the minbar. So they brought the minbar to the messenger of Allah وسلم, and as he got to go on the first step he said "Amin." he said "Amin." Then he went to move on to the second step and he said Amin again. And then he moved to the third step and he said Amin again a third time. So the companions are watching and they are, they are listening and they're hearing the Messenger of Allah Sallam say Amin three times as he moves on every step. So they're thinking, why, why is the Messenger of Allah Sallam saying saying Amin? And so they said uh, when, when he finished, then he said, Lakad, uh, the, the companion said, سَمِعْنَا مِنْكَ الْيَوْمْ شَيْءً مَا كُنَّا نَسْمَعُهُ We heard from you today something we have not heard from you before. And so the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu wasallam, he said, jibril عَرَضَ فَقَالُ That Jibril came to me. And he said, May that person who reaches Ramadan and who is not forgiven may he, be, may he be made remote and distant So I said to Jibreel, Ameen And then when I went to the second step He said May he who you are mentioned in front of him Meaning you, the messenger The one whom you are mentioned in front of him And he does not send the salat upon you May he be distant. And so the Messenger of Allah he said, Amin. And then he said, When I went to the third step, he then said to me, Jibril said to me, that may he whose parents reach old age, and they are not a cause of him entering paradise, meaning that he does not be righteous to them and serve them, and thereby enter paradise. May that person May he, be, may he be distant and remote. So I said Ameen. I said Ameen to these three things. And so the hadith is, is sahih, related by Al Hakim and Al Bani said it is sahih. And likewise from Abu Huraira, anhu, who said that the Messenger of Allah s.a. said that the month of Ramadan has come to you, Shahrun Mubarak, a month which is blessed. Allah has made obligatory upon you, it's fasting. The doors to to, to the heaven are opened and the doors to hellfire are closed. And the the, 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 the marada, meaning the, the stubborn shiateen, the stubborn devils, they are chained. And there is one night, which is better than a thousand months, whoever is prevented from it, meaning it's goodness, then indeed he has been prevented. So likewise we see from the hadith of Amr bin Murrah al-Juhani, who said that a man came to the Messenger of Allah and he said, O Messenger of Allah, do you see that if I bear witness that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah, and that you are the Messenger of Allah, and I pray the five prayers, I give the zakah, and I fast in Ramadan, and I pray in Ramadan, then amongst whom shall I be? Amongst whom shall I be? And the Messenger of Allah he said, مِنَ الصِّدِّقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَا مِنَ this word Siddiq is a very emphatic form, a highly emphatic form of one who is truthful. So there is Sadiq, there is Saduq, and there is Siddiq. Sadiq, one who is truthful, Saduq, who is very truthful, and Siddiq, one who is extremely truthful. But this truthfulness is in terms of intentions, in terms of words, in terms of deeds, meaning everything about the person is truthful. Because sometimes you can have people, they are truthful, they speak truthfully. They don't tell lies by way of speech. But then, you see, in their actions, in the the, the state that they are in, sometimes there can be inconsistency. They are, they're not really truthful in the way that they behave. So, being truthful in every respect, in intention, in word, in deed, this is what it means to be a Siddiq. And this is also the description of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. It is also the description of Maryam alayhi salam who was a Siddiqah. She was a righteous, upright, truthful woman in intention, word, and deed. So, a person who establishes the basic five pillars as we see in this hadith, then this person will be counted amongst the Siddiqeen and the Shuhada. And also we see that Ibn Khuzayma, rahimahullah, in his sahih, he brings a chapter heading, uh, chapter regarding the explanation of what the Prophet meant, when he said, وَسُفِّدَتْ shayatin. What did the messenger mean, when he said that the devils will be chained? So he said, he meant the Maradatal jinn. He only meant the stubborn devils amongst them Not all of the devils So it does not mean that every single devil Every single jinn Every single shaitan is chained up It means the real stubborn The stubborn jinns amongst them And so to the end of what he said So from all of this we can see That the, that the benefits of fasting Are tremendous indeed for a person who seeks forgiveness, who seeks mercy from Allah And in order to achieve this, of course, a person must understand the fiqh of fasting. He must understand the rulings uh, the, that pertain to actual fasting and make sure that this ibadah is performed correctly and properly. So to do that for the rest of this lesson, inshallah ta'ala, we are going to take some benefits from Kitab al-Siyam. Kitab al-Siyam, the chapter on fasting, from Bulughul al-Mar'am. Buloog maram the attainment of the objective, a book compiled by Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, in which he brings all of the evidences for the various you know, chapters dealing with you know, the ruling, the ahkam, and so on and so forth. And so this is with the commentary of Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan, Hafidhahullah ta'ala. So we begin, the Shaykh explains that as siyam in his commentary, uh, As-Siyam is the third pillar from the pillars of Islam. And Allah Azawajal, He made it obligatory upon this Ummah, just as it was made obligatory upon the previous nation. So we are not the first nation upon whom fasting has been legislated. alikum min The ayah that we mentioned previously. All you who believe... Fasting is prescribed upon you just as it was prescribed upon those who came before you in order that you may become pious, that you may have taqwa. And this obligation was made in the second year of hijrah and the messenger of Allah As we mentioned, he fasted a total of nine Ramadans before he passed away wasallam. Now, we need to look at this word As-Siyam. From a linguistic point of view, what does it mean linguistically? And then from a, a technical point of view, in terms of the, the legislation. What does the legislation intend by the word as-siyam? So as linguistically, the sheikh explains, it is explained by the word al-imsak. Al-imsak. Al-imsak means to withhold. This is simply the general meaning of the word. Al-imsak, to withhold. For example, Al Imsaq Anil Kalam a person may withhold from speech, or a person might withhold from walking. He might just stand still or sit and withhold from walking. And so this this is the general understanding of the word assiyam, to withhold. And we see that in the Quran it has been used with this specific meaning to withhold from speech. In the case of Maryam, alayhi salaam, uh in in the chapter on Maryam in the Quran, uh which is chapter number nineteen, <speaking> in the Nazarutul Rahman Inni Nazarut Rahman, indeed I have made an oath to our Rahman, Sman. Inni Nazar tul Rahman is Suman, Falan Ukalli Malyuma in Siyyah. Indeed, I have made an oath to Al Rahman. Of Saum, to use the word Saum. And then she said, and I will not speak to any man today. So the word Saum here is not speaking, about, it's speaking about withholding from speech. So this clearly means that the, that, that the act of withholding from speech has been called Saum. Likewise, we see in many uh, lines of poetry which indicates the same thing. For example, to, to, to stand still and not to move, to withhold from walking. We see in poetry, خَيْلٌ سِيَامٌ وَأُخْرَى غِيْرُ سائمة, Speaking about some uh, some animals which are stood. So one group which is Siyam and another one which is غَيْرُ and it's in reference to walking. One which is stood still, and one which is one it which is which is walking. So again, holding back from walking, it has been called Siyam in the Arabic language. And also another similar uh, line of poetry: fi ثور, So the poet is speaking and describing a constellation in the sky, and he's saying as if. It remained in its place. It, it was fixed in its place. And what he's really saying is that the night became very long. This is what he's really saying. He's basically using this as an expression to, so, to, to say that the night was very, very long, as if a constellation just was stuck in the same place. It wasn't moving. And he used the word Masam. Masam, again from, from, the, from, from the origin, uh, siam. So meaning that it is not moving, it is withholding. So all of this explains to us what it means in the language, linguistically. So how do we now relate that to the actual technical meaning? Then the technical meaning is as follows. And this is something that should be learnt. We should all understand this definition of fasting. And we should teach it to our kids. Fasting is, the technical definition of fasting in the Sharia. it is. هو الْإِمْسَاكُ هو الإمساكه بنية بنية ترى 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 there are five or six things in this in this statement i'll read it again huwa al-imsaku huwa al-imsaku bi niyatin 'an al-mufattirat al-hissiyyah wal-ma'nawiyyah min tuloo' al-fajr al-thani ila ghurub ash-shams so let's go through each element that we mentioned so first of all it is imsak as we said al-imsak means to withhold and if a person was to withhold without a niyyah, because the niyyah has been made a condition, al-imsaku biniyyatin. If a person spent the whole of the day, then this, you know, without without having a niyyah, this would not be considered to be fasting. So if you woke up, for example, and then decided not to eat, not to drink, and, you know, avoid all of those other things, this would not count as a fast for him. Because the principle, in wa Indeed, actions are only by intentions. And a man shall have only that which he intended. So, uh, a person, if from Fajr to Maghrib, he kept away from food, kept away from drink, kept away from relations and did everything, but he didn't intend As-Siyam. He never brought the niyyah of doing an act of obligatory worship with which to please Allah then this would not count in the shara' in the legislation, this would not count an actual fast. And he would have no reward. Even if linguistically speaking, he is said to be a person who is sa'im. He is still sa'im because he is withholding, linguistically speaking. But he is not one who is performing a legitimate shar'i fast. Al imsaku biniyatin, so withholding with niya. From what? What are we withholding from? Min al al wal He mentioned two types of things. From those things which end the fast, which break the fast, which are either physical. Physical, al-hisiya, physical, or conceptual, al-ma'nawiya, conceptual, al-ma'nawiya. So then the Sheikh explains, al-hisiya, meaning clearly it is to eat and to drink and to have sexual relations because these are actual physical things, physical actions, physical things, to eat food you are bringing something into your body to drink you are bringing something into your body these are actual hissi these are physical perceptible things and likewise to also withhold from al-mufattirat al-ma'nawiyyah al-ma'nawiyyah are those things like for example backbiting backbiting al-ghiba tail carrying going to one person Listen to him speak, then go and take his speech to another person, and to go around people to tell tales, and Namima, and likewise ashatam, which is to revile and abuse, and to give false witness, auluzur, to give false witness, and likewise evil speech and actions which are haram, and to derive pleasure in ways which is haram, then all of these are Mufattirat Ma'nawiya. Ma'nawiya. And the difference is, that the first type that we mentioned, the Mufattirat hissiya, they definitely break the fast. You will have no fast at all, if you eat deliberately, you drink deliberately, you have you know relations, because these invalidate the fast. But as for the Mufattirat which are Ma'nawiyah, then they can diminish the reward of the fast, they reduce the reward of the fast, and they can also make the fasting of no effect. They can make the fasting of absolutely no effect effect at all. So that means a person, in the case of uh, Mufattirat Ma'nawiya, his reward will decrease, and it could be the case he has no reward at all for his action. We see in the hadith of the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, مَنْ لَمْ يَدَعْ قَوْلَ الزُّورِ وَالْعَمَلَ بِهِ وَالْجَهْلِ فَلَيْسَ لِلَّهِ حَاجَةٌ فِي أَنْ يَدَعَ طَعَامَهُ Whoever does not abandon giving false witness and acting by it and ignorance, then Allah is not in need that he should leave his food or his drink. So this means that fasting is, just, is not just leaving food, leaving drink, leaving relations. This isn't really just fasting. Rather, fasting has a, there is a, a spirit and an essence behind it. And that is represented by the fact that a person abandons all of these conceptual things of false witness, lying, uh, backbiting, tail-carrying, and all these other things we see in another hadith that the messenger of the sallam he said siyamu minal akli washurb wa inna he said indeed fasting is just not is not in relation to drink and food food and drink rather fasting is from al which is you know so anything which is futile futility that which is vain and false and futile and and wasting War-rafath. And anything which is a rafath is like bad speech, evil speech, crudeness, and so on and so forth. This is fasting. This is what fasting is in relation to. And so, uh, so the one who, the Sheikh says, the one who leaves food, drink, and all the physical mufattirat, but does not keep away from Al-Ghibah, Al-Namimah, and those other haram things, then he has not fasted the desired fasting, the fasting which Allah wants from His from His uh, creatures, from His servants, and so therefore this person will either have no reward at all, depending on how much he engrosses himself in these deeds, or he will have his reward diminished. Either one of these two situations. So, th- so this is what is meant: al imsaku an الْمُفَطِّرَاتِ al وَالْمَعْنَوِيَّةِ and then it defines the time limit مِنْ al fajar mintulu al fajar atani atani so he said, from the second dawn from the second dawn and this is because al fajar there are two types of al fajar if you watch in a place where there is no artificial light, it's just completely dark, and you wait and observe the appearance of dawn, you will notice that the first type of dawn is when the light, it rises vertically. There's a small amount of light on the horizon, but it's only in a specific area. And then you see light rising upwards. This is as the light of the sun is approaching, because it comes in a circular direction like this. And you're seeing the first part of the light coming. And so on the horizon, it shows up and it rises upwards, but in a restricted part of the horizon. This is the first fajr. And this is al fajr al kadib, as they say. The false fajr, or the first fajr. And then, uh, what you see after that, a while after that, is that the horizon starts to become like a white thread. It's like a white thread. It spreads across the whole horizon, and you see the white. You see the the light separate from the, from the darkness, right? And so this now is the true fajr, al fajr as-sadiq. And so it is this fajr that we are speaking of, not the first one. It is from this fajr that fasting al imsak now becomes obligatory. The first fajr, you cannot play. The first uh, false fajr. You cannot pray Salatul Fajr by way of that; your prayer would not be valid. It has to be the Fajr in which the light spreads all the way around you across the horizon, and that's why we see in the Hadith Afwan. Uh, in the we see also in the Hadith as well, in fact, which explains the Ayah. In the Ayah, Waqulu Washrabu Hatta Lakum <laughs> Aswad min alFajr. So eat and drink until the white thread becomes clear to you from the black thread. And obviously, in, in the in in the hadith, one of the companions came and he brought a thread, white and black. And, and so this wasn't the understanding. So the Messenger of Allah explained what the uh, what the what the ayah meant. This is the second fajr. So من طلوع الفجر الثاني إلى, إلى غروب الشمس when the sun disappears in the West, and when the night approaches from the East, right. So when you see this happen, then the fasting is ended, and that is in the ayah thum atim musiyama ilal lail. So then complete the fasting to the night, and also the Messenger of Allah <laughs> <he> said, "Izah akbal al lailu min ha huna wa adbar al nahar min ha wa shams, fad aftra sa'im." So he described the precise moment when a person breaks the fast. When the night comes from that direction, so he pointed towards the, uh, towards the uh, east, when the night comes from that direction, and when the day uh, turns back from that direction, and the sun disappears in the west, then the fasting person can break his fast, Bukhari and Muslim. So this now is the technical definition of fasting. Does anybody want to repeat it from the audience? Yeah. You can look at your notes if you want. You can cheat if you like. Yeah. Okay. You explained in the first instance that it was to withhold. Withhold, yeah. Okay. And then you said that there was a physical aspect. Yeah, you missed something before that. Huh? Intention. To withhold with intention, yeah. yes, from? Physical. From those things which are physical, which are what? Which are the... Sexual relations. Eating, eating drinking, three things which break the fast totally, yeah. And also from? Um, conceptual. Yeah, yeah. For example, buying, bum offering abuse. Yes, yes. And then you went on with uh, the time period. Which terms. is from? From the second Fajr. The second Fajr. <laughs> from the second Fajr, not the first, up until... Yes, the sun disappearing or the sun basically setting in, in, in the west. That's right. Yeah, so that's the technical definition. Easy to learn in Arabic. You know, it's, it's nothing more than seven, eight words. If that. <coughs> ten words at the most. Ten words at the most. Children can learn that in, in you know in a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes. So this is the technical definition of fasting. We should all know this. What is fasting? Explain to me what is fasting. You have to give the technical definition of fasting. So now, what is the wisdom behind fasting? What is the wisdom behind fasting? We know in general that all of the ahkam of Allah that there are wisdoms behind them. There are clearly wisdoms behind them. And in many instances, the sharia itself, it informs us of those wisdoms. In many other cases, we may not grasp or fathom the wisdoms. So we have to stick and you know uh, remain within the bounds of the sharia. And so here we see one which is clearly mentioned in the ayah that we mentioned already a few times. Allah, Allah he said, لَعَلَّكُمْ la لَعَلَّكُمْ In order that you may become pious, have taqwa. So why is this? It is because fasting, what it does is that it prevents from a person's soul from pursuing lusts and desires. And the desires are of, you know, a person, if you look at a human being, you see that there are certain instincts which have been put in a human being. The instinct of food, which is very strong, the instinct of drink, which is very strong. This is obviously for, for survival, you need, you need these things, instinctually you're you drawn to these things. And likewise, uh, relations by which you procreate, all of these are instinctive. It's instinctive, it's being put there because of your survival. If you didn't have these very strong instincts, then you wouldn't be able to, able to uh, survive. So, but, but these instincts can also go out of control. They can go out of control. Food can go out of control. You can see that with the obesity epidemic in these countries, you know, where we have fast food and everything else. People get hooked on food. Likewise, in terms of sexual relations, you see that people are exploited by being encouraged to follow their desires. And, you know, likewise with drink. So, so these instincts that we have, on the one hand, they keep us alive, and on the other hand, they can lead us astray, and they can become harmful to us, and they can also form the basis of exploitation by other people. Because this is how people exploit others, they know that people have instincts of food, of drink, of pleasure, and so they, they exploit those base desires, and you know build businesses and whatever else, models around the exploitation of base human desires. And this is how these societies generally tend to work, this is this is how they work. So, these affairs, they lead a soul to at tughyan to oppression, to transgression, to ghafla, to becoming heedless of Allah to become heedless of the hereafter. And so, when a person then becomes drowned in these things, then all of this, it will lead a person to, you know, Uh, negative qualities, negative traits, blameworthy attributes of, as we said, being heedless of Allah's remembrance being lazy, tired, uh, transgressive and so on and so forth and gradually a person is drawn away from Allah and from that which will benefit him so fasting, what fasting does when fasting comes, what it does it, it smashes those desires it breaks them, and it regulates them, and it brings you back and puts you back in order. And because you are not having food, because with, as you know, the Sheikh explains, that shaitan he flows in, you know, he flows in the blood of the son of Adam. He actually flows in, in you know, in, in in the veins, like like blood flows in the veins. And so, what fasting does when a person fasts and then you see that there's no food entering his body there's no drink entering his body there's no shahwat that he's following so the body now is devoid of those things which allow the shaitan to flow in, in him like the flow of blood right it's as if the medium the medium or the, the fluid in which or upon which the Shayateen they flow it is removed from them it is removed from them, and so therefore the shaitan cannot enter and you know exploit that individual in a way that he can when he is eating and drinking and sleeping and, and whatever else and pursuing his pleasures and whatever else. So it basically it it um, it breaks his desires, uh, it makes his heart to be soft, and all of this leads a person to at-taqwa, at-taqwa. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ so As-Siyam, it is something that allows a person to earn, to become pious, to be righteous, and to be humble in front of Allah So this is what is mentioned in the ayah as the main wisdom. But there are also many other wisdoms as well. Many other wisdoms as well. For example, the scholars mention that um, it reminds man of his own weakness and how he is in need of Allah Without food, he will perish. Without drink, he will perish. Where does this food and drink come from? How does it end up on his table? There are causes, there are ways and means. The sun, the clouds, the rain, the soil, the plants, the animals, all of these are interconnected. How did all of this come about? Who put all of these things together in this interconnected way to bring this food? This is something that, that Allah he asks us. To reflect, does not man reflect upon his, upon his food and you know where this came from? So, all of this it makes a person to be uh, to, remind, to remind himself of, of his own weakness and of his dependence upon Allah that he is needy of Allah and dependent upon Allah. This is one of the benefits of fasting. Also, from the benefits of fasting, that you know he is. Uh, remindful and grateful and thankful to Allah for these favors for these favors of eating and drinking these are huge and mighty favors so he actually gives thanks to Allah for them and thirdly that he looks at those people who are needy across the world who are starving poor they are inflicted with hunger and thirst and so when he feels that hunger and thirst during the day He thinks of those people in the various parts of the world, you know, in where there is a drought, where there is famine, where there is war in many parts of the the world, you know, and he thinks about those people and then he's reminded his heart becomes soft, he becomes compassionate towards them and so on and so forth. So you can see how fasting has all of these tremendous benefits in how it, you know, it, it um it smashes those desires of the soul. It regulates the soul. It makes a person to earn and acquire taqwa in all these different ways. And so the Sheikh says, in Siam, there are many other mighty benefits, mighty wisdoms, and for this reason, Allah azawajal, He summarized them all. He said, la'allakum عليكم And also in the Hadith Qudsi, Allah azawajal, He says, الصوم وَأَنَا أَجْزِي بِهِ Fasting is for me and I shall reward for it. إِنَّهُ تَرَكَ شَهْوَتَهُ وَطَعَامَهُ وَشَرَابَهُ مِنْ ajli. Indeed, he abandoned his desire, his food and his drink for my sake. وَلَا <inaudible> Indeed, the odor of the mouth of the fasting person uh, and then the sheikh explains what this means. this is meaning that the, 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 the smell which emanates from a mouth on account of fasting, uh, which is obviously a displeasing type of smell it is more it is better to Allah than the smell of musk. Why? because this is something that comes it, it is from the effects of obedience it is from the effect of obedience and this is similar to for example, when you see a mujahid and he's covered in dust is disheveled covered in dust dirty this you know this is from the effects of obedience and this is more pleasing to allah and likewise when you have a wound for example and blood you know is flowing and you see that this that this that this blood will smell like misk on yawmul qiyamah why because this is from the effects the athar of obedience those things which are from the Athar of obedience, they are likable and pleasing to Allah, azza wa jal. even though they might appear not appealing to us right so this is the nature of this type of this type of uh, worship, uh, and this is the position of the one who fasts in the sight of Allah azza wa jal. so all of this, what we have discussed up until this point, it indicates the virtue and the excellence of fasting over all of the other actions, over many other righteous actions. And it is a mighty act of worship. For this reason, many of the righteous people from the Salaf and the righteous people we see, that they used to fast abundantly, regularly, routinely, besides from the obligatory fasts, because they used to love fasting. And they wanted to seek nearness to Allah by way of fasting. And the Prophet he used to frequently fast. He used to fast so much frequently, that it would be said, maybe he, he will not stop fasting. But at other times, he would not fast. Again, to teach his ummah that this voluntary fasting, so it doesn't, it doesn't be seen as being obligatory, such that the people would say, maybe he will not fast at all. And, and likewise, the righteous people from the Sahaba and other than them, they used to frequently fast out of seeking nearness to Allah So we established then the obligation we established the benefits, we established the definition of fasting, we established the wisdoms of fasting. So now here, we start with the first hadith in the chapter, and the first hadith from Abi Huraira, this is in Buloog maram the first hadith, and in this chapter, الله, in this hadith, قال Rasulullah ﷺ, لا تقدم رمضان يوم إِلَّا رَجُلٌ كَانَ صَوْمًا فَلْيَصُمْحِ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ Muslim. So the first hadith from Abu Huraira, رضي الله عنه, that the messenger of Allah said, do not precede Ramadan by a day of fasting or two days of fasting. Unless it is a man who actually has a fast already, then let him fast it. What does this mean? What is, what is this hadith referring to? This hadith is a prohibition from the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that a person start Ramadan by deliberately fasting a day or two before. Treating it as if it is part and parcel of Ramadan. And it is as if this person, his thought behind this is saying, well, I want to have some extra reward and extra goodness. So what I'm going to do is fast a day before, or two days before Ramadan, and add it to my Ramadan. Uh, this is the way of thinking. And so this is prohibited by the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Why? Because this now is adding something extra to the deen of Allah This is bid'ah. This is an innovation in the religion. And we cannot take our, our sentiments, our desire for goodness, for extra reward... And then start to add things to the religion, because otherwise this will lead to the same way of the Yahud and the Nasara, the Jews and the Christians, who made tabdil of their religion, they altered their religion. So good intentions, desire for reward, this cannot, this has got no connection to the legislation of Allah Rather, we are strictly ordered to follow that which has been legislated for us. So this is a type of. Innovation in the religion And this is why shaitan When he wants to misguide people He has one of two choices Either he'll make a person follow his desires His lusts and fall into sin Gamble, drink, fornicate, lie, steal, cheat That's one of his options Or he will exploit the natural desire for a person To want goodness To become more pious To become more righteous To want more reward and so he will exploit that desire, and then lead him to start, you know, making analogies and you know whatever bring his thinking, and then to start adding to 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 the Sharia, to add some actions of worship, to add to do things upon other than how the Sharia have, has legislated, right? So this is the preferred way of shaitan to misguide people, because in this example, in the example of the sinful man, the sinful man will never take what he is doing. As a path in religion, he will not say, "You know the sinful man doesn't say to himself wow this this uh, drinking sounds good in religion. Let me take it as my path in religion. This is now the path I'm going to follow in my religion. No one says this about you know major sins that they that they are uh, a tariqa from the Turk in religion, no one does that, but a person, for example, when it comes to bid'ah, whether those of creed in belief, like you know you have the Jahmiya and the." and the أَشَّائِرَ مَا and people like that, who entered into their religion, these uh, philosophical ideas, kalam, so on and so forth, or whether it is actions of worship, the acts of worship that you see amongst the Sufi and other than them, which they take as religion, then shaitan prefers that because these people actually say, this is my path in religion, I'm upon this path, and this is my way of worshipping Allah, I'm going to take this path. These people now are deceived into deviating and swerving away from the straight path of Allah, and from Al-Ittiba, and they will not return because they think they are guided. As opposed to the sinful man, who knows he is sinful, he will be remorseful, he will feel sorry, he will repent if Allah you know, guides him, he knows he has to repent. Right? So this man is in a better situation than the one who is upon innovation. So for that reason, you see, it is frequent shaitan, the, the, the way shaitan prefers to work, is to misguide people by using their the sentiments which appear to be positive. The desire for more reward. The desire for goodness. Uh, and then he leads them to innovation. So we are prohibited from preceding Ramadan with a fast a day or two days, because this is innovation in the religion. And we We'll finish with the next hadith. Uh, the next hadith then, so notice that all these hadith which are being brought in this chapter, all of them have some fiqh. We are deriving some fiqh from, the, from these hadith. So the next hadith is from Ammar bin Yasir, anhu, who said, that the messenger of Allah who said, من صام اليوم ألذي يشك فيه Sorry, this is, the, this is actually the statement of Ammar bin Yasir. The statement of Ammar bin Yasir, عنه, who said, من صام اليوم الذي يشك فيه فقد القاسم Whoever fasts on the day in which there is doubt, then he has disobeyed Abul Qasim. He has disobeyed, meaning the messenger of Allah. So this is in effect a hadith. He's, the, the companion is reporting something which goes back to the messenger of Allah. Sallallahu alayhi wa so, so regarding this, uh, regarding this uh, hadith, in fact, we've got one thing that we forgot to mention, uh, which is to do with the niyyah <coughs> and also the fasting. So, there's a clarification: if a person, for example, he has regular fasts. So he fasts on the 13th, 14th, 15th, or he fasts Monday, uh, he fasts the two days, Thursday, and uh, he has fasts which, which for example, he needed to make up from previously, obligatory fasts, or he's got fasts which he made for an oath that he didn't fulfill. So if he's fasting those fasts and it coincides with the day before Ramadan, or two days before Ramadan, then this is fine. This is okay. Okay. Because this person now is not fasting with the same intention as that other person. That other person is thinking, let me add more goodness. Let me add to Ramadan by fasting a day before and two days before to make me more pious, to make me more good, to get more goodness. No, this person is simply following, you know, he, he's making up fast which he, or he's doing some regular good deeds which he actually does routinely. And it just happens to coincide, you know, on the day before Ramadan or whatever. So we need to, we need to be clear that we are speaking of a very specific situation and not the person who is falling into any of these three or four categories. One who routinely fasts, one who's making up obligatory fasts, one who's making up a fasting for an oath that hasn't been fulfilled, and so on. So coming then to this particular hadith, uh, the second hadith, which is, the one who fasts on the day of doubt, then he has disobeyed Abu qasim What does this mean, the day of doubt? The day of doubt... This is when we do not know whether the new moon has been sighted or not Because of cloud cover Because it is cloudy We are not able to see the, 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 you know, the, the, the new crescent And we are unsure And so this is what is called Yomushak, The day of doubt So now if a person comes along and says Well, it's doubtful So just to be on the safe side, let me fast just to be on the safe side in case it is ramadan this has also been prohibited we are prohibited from acting upon doubt and as we shall see in the hadith that follow or in the hadith that follow it speaks about how do we know when to start fasting we start fasting when we actually physically see the crescent this is because the rulings of the sharia are built upon what Certainty All the rulings of the Sharia are built upon certainty They cannot be built upon doubt Hence what this person does by saying Well because we can't see the moon And it could be Ramadan Then let me just fast To be, you know, from the angle of just being sure This is also prohibited And shak is when you are confused between two things, you don't know which one is right. In Arabic, this is shak. This is shak. And dhan, dhan, is when there are two things, but one is probably slightly more likely than the other. This is called dhan. Dhan. This is when you have a basis for choosing one or the other. Whereas shak is two things, you don't know which one, this one or the other, it's like you know hesitation and doubt. So this has been prohibited. And in the hadith, it mentioned Abul Qasim. The one who does this has disobeyed Abul Qasim. Abul Qasim is the kunya of the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Al Qasim, this was his oldest uh, child, the oldest the, the son, who was born of Khadija radiallahu anha. And this son, he passed away in Makkah. And for that reason, the messenger of Allah Sallallahu he was called Abul Qasim. Abul Qasim. The next hadith, we'll finish with this hadith, from Ibn Umar, who said, رَضِي اللهُ أَنْهُمَا I heard the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say, إِذَا رَأَيْتُمُوهُ فَصُمُوا وَإِذَا رَأَيْتُمُوهُ فَأَفْتِرُوا فَإِنُ غُمَّ عَلَيْكُمْ فَقَدُرُوا لَهُ Bukhari Muslim, when you see, then fast. When you see it, meaning the crescent fast. When you see it, then break the fast. Meaning at the end of the month. And if it is cloudy over you, then determine it. Determine it. In another hadith in Muslim, if it is cloudy over you, then estimate 30 days for it. Meaning 30 days of the previous month. And in Bukhari, فَأَقْمِلُ الْعِدَّةِ ثَلَاثِينَ then complete the 30 days of the previous month. And also from another you know, hadith, Akmilu Iddat al-Shaaban Make 30 days of sha'ban So, and also the hadith from Ibn Umar, uh, the people began to look for the moon, the crescent, and I informed the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I indeed, I saw it. So then he fasted, and he ordered the people to fast. So all of this now brings us to the issue that we raised in the previous uh, 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 hadith about the ahkam are based upon certainty. The messenger of Allah has told us that we first, when we physically see the crescent. And if we do not, then we complete the days to 30, you know, to, to, to 30 days of the previous month, the month of Sha'ban. And so this explains the reason why we are not allowed to fast on the day of shak, on the day of doubt. Because the rulings of the sharia are not based upon doubt. They are based upon certainty. Also what this hadith indicates, uh, the hadith that we mentioned, and the next hadith as well, that uh, an, a Bedouin Arab came to the messenger of Allah and he said, Indeed, I saw the Hilal, a Bedouin Arab, one man. And he said to him, do you testify that none has a right to be worshipped except Allah? He said, yes. He said, do you testify that Muhammad is messenger of Allah? He said, yes. So then, the messenger of Allah he announced, he ordered that it be announced to the people by Bilal that they should fast from tomorrow. So what does this hadith tell us? There are a number of things from this hadith. First of all, that the only one person's testimony is is needed in order for the Muslims to fast. One man's testimony, and also we shall see also a woman is included within that as well, uh, that that fasting can begin by testimony of a single person. And also that it should be announced. It should be announced. And also people are encouraged to go out and to seek the new moon. A person shouldn't say, well somebody else will do it, I will just sit at home, Rather, people are encouraged to go out and to seek the new moon. So all of these are taken from, from this hadith. The sheikh also says that it is not a condition that there be a large number and it is only one whether it is a man or a woman. A man or a woman. And this, as, as a side point, this shows the, 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 the false claim of those who say that you know a woman's testimony, like they refer to the ayah in the Quran regarding the writing of you know loans and debts and contracts, and then they claim that a woman's testimony in a court of law is only half of man's. This is kadib, This is a lie, because that ayah is not speaking about a court of law, as Ibn Al Qayyim explains in, in in his book al Hukmiya and others as well. This is speaking about when a man. He's just looking a way to safeguard a contract that he's making with somebody else. He wants witnesses. So for him to safeguard his private interests, he can bring, you know, uh, two men to witness, if not a man, two women. And if one of them errs, the other one can remind her. Because women, they, you know, undergo certain states and conditions. They have, you know, they are pregnant. They have postnatal. They have, you know, uh, You know certain situations where maybe they forget things and so if a man wants to protect his private interests by asking for two women, then he can do so. This has got nothing to do with actually in a court of law. That's something separate. In a court of law, what amounts as acceptable witness, it varies. Sometimes it can be four witnesses. The Sharia requires four witnesses in some cases, other times it requires three, other times it requires two, other times one will be sufficient right because what is what, it, what what the judge is trying to determine is what amounts to an actual evidence by which something is firmly established, and so the Sharia in different scenarios requires different levels and thresholds of evidence right so that's got nothing to do. this has got nothing to do with being in a court of law. So here we see uh, is another example of when a woman can come and give testimony that she saw the Hilal, and the Muslims will fast on the basis of that testimony, right and there are other examples as well, but that 's just a, 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 you know, a, a point on the side so this then uh, leads us to also the, from the hadith as well that the messenger of Islam he ordered Bilal to announce to the people, so announcing that the Hilal has been seen. This is also something which is recommended. Uh, there are many ways that used to be used. Nowadays, clearly, we can use you know technology and you know transmission, the means of communication. Uh, but in the other, the olden days, they used to have different means. They would you know beat the duff, for example, uh, so that other people in nearby villages can hear. There were various means. Point being that we are encouraged to. Um, To announce this to the people now the final thing uh, that the Sheikh finishes on we'll we'll, we'll actually finish with this point is the issue of calculations calculations to do with when the moon can be seen when it cannot be seen the astronomical calculations and to summarize everything that the Sheikh is really saying and these same things have been said by scholars previously like Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymi and other than them Which is that, first of all, the religion is easy. Allah has made the religion easy. And he has made it accessible to every type of people. He hasn't made religion to be based upon, or the rulings of the religion, to be based upon knowledge which can be monopolized by a very small number of people. Rather you see, like just look at for example, all of the prayers for example. The prayers are based upon clear, open things that every person can see with the vision of the eyes. Salatul Fajr, the dawn across you know the horizon. Salatul Dhuhr, when the shadow, st- when the shadow moves from being in the west to the east, this is this is start of Dhuhr when you know when when the sun moves past the um, you know when, when the shadow uh, moves from the from being in the west towards the east. Right, that point, the zenith, when the sun reaches the zenith. Right? This is something you can you can tell by by by, by a shadow. Likewise Asr, likewise Maghrib, likewise Isha, all these things you know, you can physically can tell. And so the Sharia, it, it, the the rulings are based upon things which are open and apparent and accessible to everybody. If this wasn't the case and it had to be based upon knowledge of a very um detailed you know something, something which, which is very detailed, and you, knew you need instruments and calculations and observations. Then this would make the religion very difficult upon upon people, very very difficult. So the religion cannot be monopolized by this way, by the control of knowledge, and that's a point that Ibn Taymiyya makes as well. That the, you know this is on open, apparent things that everyone can see: the the moons, the start of the moon and the end of the moon. Everyone can 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 can, can see that. So. Shaykh says these people who come along You know we know that worship is based upon apparent things These people who come along And um, We see that Allah has said Allah has not made any difficult upon For you in the religion And so these people he says They come along every year We see them Conferences Seminars And they use this issue of Seeing the moon Let's unite the ummah around the issue of seeing the moon, as if there aren't other things that are more important to unite the ummah upon, such as, for example, Tawheed. Right? You have grave worshippers in more, almost every country in the Muslim uh, nation. Every country you go, with the exception of maybe a few, you, you have people who worship graves and call upon the dead, and you know seek rescue from them. And they want to unite the people on what? Something the Sharia has prohibited anyway. Right, so, this, so the Sheikh is, is speaking here about these people who every year you see them doing the same thing, uh, wasting people's time, uh, you know, and uh, rather than focusing upon correcting the aqidah, you see them focusing upon these trivialities and opposing the sunnah in that as well. So uh, this is the point that the Sheikh really finishes with and we'll finish at this point uh, because we have come to the end of our time. So these were just the opening ahadith the chapter obviously continues and goes on to mention many of the other of the rulings of of uh of fasting so I recommend that you go back to this this work this work is available in English as well Bulughul Maram and just to read the ahadith on fasting they are very simple they are very easy to extract you know the, the actual rulings um and um, with further elaboration you can refer to the explanations but just to familiarize yourself with these with these actual texts so with that we'll conclude our lesson there today walhamdulillahirabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala muhammad wa ala alihi wa ajma'in